Welcome to Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla, where it's you who sets the conversation. Join us for the next hour as we take a fresh look at how we think about spirituality. Welcome everybody. Good afternoon. Thursday. Getting close to Shabbos. And sure, I think we all need a Shabbos in our lives at the moment, right? It's just tough times. Very difficult times for our community. So I think it's only appropriate before we begin, let's just take a moment. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, take one moment, just pause, whatever you're doing, and say a brief prayer. Thank you, Hashem, for keeping us healthy. Please, Hashem, heal those who need healing, and please prevent this disease from spreading any further. It's such a difficult, difficult time in our own community. It's Fresh Thinking. Welcome aboard. You're with uh, me, Rabbi Shishla. We're together until just before three o'clock. And <clears throat> yeah, it's, I'm sure there's plenty, plenty on everybody's minds. We're trying to keep this a little bit more upbeat because I think it's easy at the moment to get caught up in things that are heavy. So I want to start off just by throwing out a question, something that's Hopefully, we'll get a little bit of conversation going over here. The question is this. Oh, very interesting. Very interesting. Sorry, just seeing messages coming through from, from previous shows. I have to comment. Sorry, I know it's not on the topic. I have to comment. You know, people, I guess, on the previous show, we're talking about vaccination, not vaccination. Recently, somebody said to me, uh, you know, rabbis should stay out of the medical fraternity, which is correct. We should. We're not doctors, and it's not our job. But it is our job to say this. It is our job to say that as far as Judaism is concerned, you have to follow the doctors. <laughs> and I think it's not a time for playing around. We really, really need to get that message out. That we have, thank God, great medical leadership in this town and we need to listen. We need to listen to what they're saying. That's why we shut down the schools. That's why we're uh, most of our schools are closed. And uh, it's just that serious and we have to take it seriously. So my question for you today, just to get the conversation going, get the ball rolling, I'd like to know what, what would you say is, or what, doesn't have to be a single one actually, what would you say within Judaism do you find to be completely illogical? Something that you just, just cannot understand it, you cannot get your head around it. There are many, many things, I had a fascinating conversation on social media over the last few days about Boba Mises. <laughs> and all the different bobamices that people believe in or grew up with. It's a really cute conversation to have because you suddenly realize that there are a lot of strange things that people do just simply because it was passed down through the generations, whether it was, I mean, I, I learned some new ones that I hadn't ever heard before, uh, like never putting shoes on a table. I never heard that one before. I'm sure there were some other interesting ones. And it just got me thinking, you know, bobamices are usually quite illogical. Usually, yeah. Okay, maybe the shoes on the table is because who knows what's on your shoes and why would you want that on your table. But some of them are completely, completely illogical, right? So it just got me thinking, let's put the bobamices aside for a minute and let's talk about actual Jewish practice, real mitzvahs, real Jewish traditions. Which are the ones that come to your mind that you think, what? These are just ridiculous. They don't make any sense. So if you've got... You got a thought to share? Three four five one nine is our SMS line. Telegram works on oh six one eight nine five one oh one nine, and there is always social media. 
social media means. You could tweet us at Chai FM or at Rabbi Shish. You can comment on the Chai FM Facebook page. Whichever way you choose to interact with us, we'll get the message. We'll share the message. So what could you think of in terms of your own Jewish experience that just does not make any sense? And it's a leading question because really I'd like to use this as an opportunity to develop a, a, perhaps a more profound concept. But let's start with that. Let's start simply with asking the question, what comes to your mind as being Jewish, real Jewish, not a Boba Meiser, not something that you heard from somebody's grandmother's sister-in-law, but something that is mandated by the Torah and just to you makes absolutely no sense at all. So um, that's that's where we're going to start our conversation today, just to see. Because, wow, if you would have seen those Boba Mices, maybe I can actually call up some of them over here just to share with you. Some of those things were really interesting. I'd never heard of them before. Uh, some of them I had heard of, you know, and of course those people are worried about things like black cats, which is not a very Jewish thing and uh, not <laughs> something we should really pay attention to. Uh, walking under a ladder, that was one that came up a lot, which quite honestly the Gemara talks about and it says, well, you shouldn't walk under a ladder for fear of somebody falling on your head. In other words, that you have to keep yourself safe. Um, other interesting ones that people said, this I'd never heard, right? Never heard this, that if you, if you drop a fork, it means a lady will come to visit. If you drop a knife, a man will come to visit. Never heard that one. A lot of people spoke about spilling salt and having to throw some over your shoulder. So, you know, when you sit back with your, um, with your, uh, an analytical mind, and you look at these things and you say, look, I belong to the 21st century and I really think that this is Mishugas. Fine. We'll accept it because they are. But it's very possible that we'll come to things in Judaism. You'll say, mm, this one doesn't make much sense to me. Here's uh, Simi on Twitter who says, Kiddush Levana doesn't make sense. So for those who are not familiar, Kiddush Levana is a process where once a month, shortly after the new moon, in the first phase of the, of, of the moon, so it's got to be done pretty much from the beginning of the month to the middle of the month. And some communities only do it in the second week of the month. But basically, you go outside, usually on a Saturday night, but it does not have to be a Saturday night. And you go out with the crowd at Shul and you bless the moon. And I, I, of course, it doesn't make sense to many people because I see that, uh, you know, straight away people have replied to this comment about talking to the moon. No, we don't talk to the moon. That wouldn't make any sense. I mean, that would be absolutely ridiculous. But we do know that as Jewish people, we have blessings for everything. We have blessings for things we enjoy in life. So there's a blessing over food. There's a blessing over beautiful natural fragrances. We bless God for things that work out well. We even bless God on a regular basis for the fact that our digestive system works, that our kidneys work. Every time you go to the bathroom, there's a blessing to say afterwards. So it's not altogether surprising that we'd have a blessing over the fact that there is this cycle by which we construct our calendar. And that's the lunar cycle. And that's why we say a brocha over the moon. And people don't necessarily remember or perhaps don't even know that there is a blessing to make over the sun as well. It happens every 28 years. I think we're coming up for uh, close to 10 years since the last time we did it. And there you have it. We bless over. We, we don't bless them. We don't talk to the moon. We bless God. We thank God for the fact that we have the moon. So, okay, I get it. It's certainly one of those things I imagine where a person encounters for the first time and you think that makes no sense. What else? What else doesn't make sense as far as you're concerned uh, from a Jewish point of view? 
what doesn't make sense? And of course, this is a leading question because once we have this conversation about things that don't make sense, then there's, there's going to be the underlying question, which I'll get to a little bit later. That's really where I'd like to focus today. Uh, somebody says, I, mean, I, I don't know how you pronounce some of these names on Twitter. I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce them. Are these even real people? I mean, that's when you have an unpronounceable name and you don't put a picture of yourself. How do we know you're real and that you're not some kind of a Jew-bot on Twitter? Anyway, so somebody says the repetition of the Amidah makes no sense. Think about it. You go to shul. You, you pray the Amidah, <clears throat> the silent devotion yourself. And then the next thing you know, they're doing it again. The leader the shliach tzibur, the person who represents the community, otherwise known as the chazan, gets up and he repeats what you've just said. So it doesn't seem to make much sense. You do know that that was instituted because once upon a time people did not have a siddur and they didn't, I mean there was no printing press. So not everybody knew how to say the prayers. It was very common that a person would come to shul and be completely out of their depth and so that's why you had this individual who then said all of those blessings aloud because people themselves may not have known how to say those blessings. So then it made sense. And you could argue that today everybody has a printed book. So what's the big deal? Well, I'll tell you what the big deal is. Not everybody actually gets to read the Amidah even when they're in shul. So perhaps it's a good thing to still keep it going. Not perhaps. That's what we do. We keep it going because ultimately at the end of the day, there are people who need to be covered. Guess what? It may not make sense at first glance, but the truth is when you think about it, it actually makes a lot of sense. So that's our question to launch our conversation today. What elements of Jewish practice could you think of that, as far as you're concerned, make absolutely no sense at all? If you have one, please share it with us. 34519 via SMS. You can tweet at Chai FM. You can tweet me directly at Rabashish. You can use the Chai FM Facebook page to make your comments. Or you could send us a message on Telegram on 061895. 1019. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. And today we're talking about what in Judaism does not make any sense. And the truth is, if we really applied our minds, no question, we would have a nice long list. Um, here are a couple more that have come through. Two people have said the same thing. The dietary laws... That's Daniel. The dietary laws, I cannot reconcile them with ethics. I'm not sure what that means. Cannot reconcile them with ethics. But I certainly understand that people say that they don't appear to make any sense. Uh, here's Richard who says, people who celebrate Passover and not the Exodus. <laughs> I don't know if that means that the tradition doesn't make sense. I think that means that the people or the behavior of people does not make sense. Here's a good one. Ari on Twitter says the Pidion Peter Hamor. I love this. It's a great one. Pidion Peter Hamor. Okay, so basically what that means, it's still practiced today, is that if you own a donkey and the donkey gives birth to a firstborn donkey, there is a ritual to perform with a koyen quite similar to the Pidion Haben, where a person, so to speak, redeems their firstborn child from the koyen. It's a similar thing with a donkey. Now, there you go. That's a good example of something that appears to make absolutely no sense. I'm pretty sure that if we kept at this, the, the list would get longer and longer. So here's the real question. And, and keep going, by the way, if you've got others, other elements of Judaism that you feel make absolutely no sense, then by all means, go ahead and share them. We'll keep that part of the conversation going. 
But uh, here's the real question. The real question is, why do you think that Judaism, Dafka has so many, and even if it's not so many, why do you think Judaism, Dafka has elements that make no sense? I mean, we pride ourselves in our intellect. We call ourselves the people of the book. We're consistently sending around annoying emails about how many Nobel Prizes our people have won. We love to speak about how we have produced the father of modern physics and the father of modern psychology, etc. So we love to talk about the fact that we're smart people. We love to talk about the fact that we look for answers. That we are, as the Torah describes us, Am Chacham Venovoin, a nation that is wise and insightful. You look at the Talmud. The Talmud is consistently focused on why. Why? How do you know? How do you know that this is even true? What is the basis for this particular approach, for this particular behavior? We don't just swallow things whole. So, you look at us as a people, a people whose entire lives is centered on hundreds and thousands of books of wisdom, of debate, of research, of discovery, and you say, surely we would be people who would want to understand things. Yet, so many components of Judaism just don't seem to make any sense. There are, here's a few other examples that I don't believe anybody else has suggested. I, I know that people mentioned kosher, and I think more specifically, um, why they, you know the, the the laws of meat and dairy. That is, uh, you know, that that's that's something that most people just simply cannot get their head around because it doesn't have much of a logical explanation. Um, but what about something like the Torah telling us clearly that no man may ever marry his brother's wife? Unless, of course, the brother dies, God forbid, without children, in which case he is obligated to marry her. Now, that seems completely illogical as an example. And there, and there are various others like that, right? There, there are various laws that don't seem to make sense. Or how's about the fact that the Torah makes a law which applies to us daily? You may not wear an item of clothing that has both wool and linen. You might never have thought of this, right? So you go and you buy yourself a fancy piece of clothing. So there was a time, I, I don't know, I'm not the, I'm not the biggest uh, fashionista, you know, so I, I don't know these things. But there was a time that linen suits were very in. And then, of course, you had to make sure that none of the thread included wool. There was a time before polyester where very often it was linen that was used in various parts of the tailoring of suits. Even today, you'd be surprised how often you have wool and linen combinations in clothing. And we're not allowed, as a Jewish person, we're not allowed to wear such clothing. That's one of the first things you do. You buy a, a more upscale item of clothing. You send it to a laboratory where they can test to see if it has a mixture of wool and linen. If the answer is yes, back it goes to the shop. Does it make sense? Is there a logical reason? Why there's this issue of wool and linen? I don't think so. I don't believe anybody's got uh, an explanation for that. Uh, somebody asked, okay, it's a little bit of a different, um, I don't know if it's exactly the same. Somebody put over here on Twitter, um, Shmuel, he says, how come you're allowed to have lox and cream cheese, but not chicken and milk? Okay, so very, I mean, is that illogical? Don't know if it's necessarily illogical. There's a very logical explanation for why it is that we consider uh, poultry to be the same as meat. 
because it's difficult to start to distinguish between one kind of meat and another. And the Torah is very clear about the fact that you may not mix or eat or cook meat and dairy together. So that that's fine. Whereas fish, I don't believe anybody would mistake a fish for a piece of meat. I, I don't think it really happens. If you look at this nice piece of grilled salmon and think, wow, I wonder who made that steak. You know what I mean? It's unlikely. So, so that's probably a little bit more, there is a logical element to it. Um, but there are others, there are certainly others, <clears throat> I'm pretty sure that we could think of if we kept digging. Here's the, here's the ultimate. The ultimate illogical law. It's actually from this week's Torah portion. The ultimate illogical law we're told is what's called the law of the para aduma. Para aduma means the red heifer. What's a red heifer? So basically the story goes like this. That back in the day, there were laws of purity and impurity that affected everybody. When I say back in the day, I mean during the time either when the Jews were in the desert and they had the sanctuary in the desert or subsequently when they built the temple in Jerusalem. And the laws of purity and impurity, uh, some of them still apply today. Most of them only apply at the time that we have a temple in Israel, in Jerusalem. But they are very, very difficult to rationalize. Really, they are. Firstly, it's difficult to rationalize that something which is completely spiritual should be cleansed through a physical process. You do acknowledge, obviously, that purity or impurity are spiritual states. And yet, if a person immerses in water, in what we call a mikvah, which is physical, somehow that will remove that spiritual impurity. It's very difficult to understand. But the, the ultimate story of purity and impurity is this so-called para aduma, this red heifer, which basically works like this. In those days, if a person came in direct contact with a dead body, which would mean they touched the dead body, or they stepped over the dead body, or they were under the same roof as the dead body, or even if they came within a two-meter proximity of the dead body, so by rights, that person would be considered the highest state of impurity and would be uh, blocked from various spiritual activities. The only way to become pure again was that the community had to at some point find a calf that is absolutely red, top to bottom, absolutely red. Once they find it, then they had to slaughter it, burn it, use the ashes in a strange ritual where they'd dip their, they'd mix the ashes into water, sprinkle it on the person on two occasions over the course of a week, and that would then purify the person. Oh, and the Kohen, the practitioner who did the ritual, would now become impure. Not the same impurity, he'd be able to immerse in a mikveh after a certain period of time, but still, it doesn't make any sense. It's a very strange law. In fact, it's such a strange law that it's left Jews scratching their heads for millennia. Why? Why would we have such a thing like that? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Why does Judaism have laws that are completely irrational? Share your thoughts with us on Twitter at ChaiFM at Rabbi Shish on the ChaiFM Facebook page via SMS on 34519 or via Telegram on 0618951019. Well, if you are just tuning in now, you should know that you are on Fresh Thinking. You're with Rabbi Shish there all the way till just before 3 p.m. this afternoon. And today I'm asking you the question, why does Judaism specifically have this religion of intellectuals, this religion that puts so much value on the why? So why do we have laws that you'll never know why? Why do we have laws that are completely irrational? And I'm using the example of the para aduma, the red heifer, which I think somebody over here, I think it was Graham, mentioned. 
as an example. Um, interesting. Mark makes a comment. It's an interesting comment. Uh, he says, <laughs> that's also funny. Monique says, in order to get us to behave. Mark says, governments make more laws than the Torah does that we really don't understand. And then the judges find ways of reinterpreting them in a way that we have no clue about. <laughs> Sounds like we have a lot of faith in our leadership. <laughs> when you make a comment, I suppose, like that. So, yeah, why? Why are there things that abs- make absolutely no sense? I know some people will often say, look, the reality is much of our lives doesn't make sense. Do you know how your phone works? Do you understand the code that runs all the apps that are on your phone? No. You're happy. You just touch the WhatsApp icon. Boom, it opens up. You send your message. The person receives it. They message you back and you're happy. You don't have to know how it works. You don't have to know how your car works. You get in, you turn the ignition, it goes. You have to know basics, what the brakes and the accelerator do. Yes. But you don't have to know what the, you know, every aspect of the inner workings of your engine is. That doesn't matter. You take it to a mechanic if there's an issue. And the truth is you don't even have to know how your own body works. Your doctor tells you do this, you do it. You trust him. So yes, in life, we don't necessarily have to understand everything in order to get the value out of it. But here's the interesting part. The interesting part is that we all know historically that the wisest person who ever lived was King Solomon. The Torah tells us very clearly he was blessed with incredible wisdom, unparalleled wisdom. So if you had been given that gift, what would you do with it? I could think of many things. One of the things that King Solomon did with his gift of wisdom is he tried to understand everything that could possibly be understood about life, about his connection to God, about God himself. And the expression goes that King Solomon said, I said to myself, I would be wise enough to crack this code. But the reality is, it's absolutely beyond me. What code? What was he talking about? What was it? The one thing that stumped the world's wisest person ever. What was it? I thought I'd be smart, he says. I thought I'd crack it. And I couldn't. So the sages tell us, he was talking about this mitzvah of the para aduma, this red heifer. He racked his brain. He researched. He contemplated. He queried. He could never work it out. It does not make any sense. Now, what's intriguing about it is, as I mentioned to you, this red heifer, inexplicable, irrational part of Judaism, is what we're going to read in synagogues all around the world this coming Shabbos. Uh, not here in South Africa, because our shuls are closed, but we'll read it at home. And when the Torah introduces it, the Torah says, Zois chukas This is the edict of the Torah. We're told that there are three types of observance, three types of mitzvahs in Judaism. There are mitzvahs that are absolutely logical. Makes sense to everybody. In fact, even if you're not au fait with the Torah, it still makes sense. Do not steal. Makes sense. There are other laws that you and I would never have thought of of our own, but once the Torah decides that these are things that we should do, we get it. They make sense. Celebrate the holiday of Pesach because that's when our nation was was redeemed and it's it's obviously something we have to celebrate. Keep the Shabbos. Well, perhaps once upon a time they knew why and now we know even more so. 
to have a 24-hour tech break must be the healthiest thing possible in the 21st century. So, okay, I get it. I understand it. Now that you've presented it and you've explained it, you can actually see the value in it. And then we get what is called chukim. Chukim means things that just just don't make any sense. They simply make no sense. And out of all of the chukim, the one that makes the least sense is this para aduma. And when the Torah introduces it, it says, this is chukas ha-Torah. Not chukas ha-Torah. It doesn't say that this is the, the super rational law of the red heifer. It says, this is the chukas ha-Torah. This is what the whole of Judaism is actually all about. Believe it or not. Yes. Yes. We are supposed to understand. Yes. We were gifted with a brain and along with that came a responsibility to use it. A responsibility that I'm afraid not everybody uses. But that is our responsibility. To learn. To explore. To question. To debate. To research. That's why you open up the Talmud and they can drive you absolutely nuts on every piece of Judaism. How do you know? Where does it come from? Prove it to me. Because we believe absolutely that if God gifted us with a brain, we have a responsibility to stretch that brain to its extreme in order to be able to connect our minds with the Torah. thing is this. Because we have this brain, because it's such a big part of who we are, sometimes the brain can actually work against us. You know, that's one of the things that you learn if you, if you learn history. And it's really valuable to learn history because it helps us to understand our world, to contextualize our world, and to also understand where things are headed. You go back and you read history and you'll discover that very often some of the most horrible people, horrible nations on earth, were super intelligent. Sometimes they were the most intelligent at the, in their time. Sometimes they were dafka the people who uh, were the great philosophers, were the great people representing morality or at least proposing to represent morality the human brain can sometimes get out of hand think about your own experience how often is it that we can use all kinds of mental gymnastics to rationalize behavior that we know we should not be able to rationalize sometimes this incredible intelligence that we have is our achilles heel and I'd love to hear if you have a thought on that and perhaps a perspective on that and why we have elements of Judaism that Dafka don't make sense. Share your views, 34519 via SMS, 0618-891, uh, sorry, 895-1019 is Telegram. Otherwise, they are the social media channels which are actually working as they always do. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So, uh, talking about why on earth we would have elements of Judaism that are so, I don't want to say illogical, because that's disrespectful, but things that we don't understand. Things that we simply cannot understand. And when the Torah introduces these things, that it actually says that these are representative of the whole Torah. That this inexplicable law of the para aduma of the red heifer which even king solomon the wisest of all people said he could not figure out why 
that's somehow representative of the whole Torah. And there's, there's a number of reasons for it. The first one is because the human mind is capable of the most exquisite delusions. You don't have to look far. You really don't. The amount of vitriol that you see on social media at the moment, the amount of nonsense that people parade as if it were fact, the way in which people are able to convolute truth, the way that they're able to manufacture stories, narrative, and so-called intelligent people just swallow it whole, that is the greatest indicator of how the human mind could be the Achilles heel. I mean, really, it does boggle my mind how often you look around and you see people who are ostensibly intelligent. They might be leaders in, in, in the sciences, in the world of politics, and yet the most stupid things dupe them. It's incredible. And the most immoral behavior they support. And, and the hypocrisy of people who claim to defend the underdog and the, the, the minorities and yet cannot bring themselves to do the exact same thing. So you'll have people screaming like crazy about how these uh, population groups need to be protected and that population group needs to be protected. And then in front of their face, they'll see physical assaults of Jewish people. And they won't understand or be able to reconcile that Jewish lives need to be protected. It's absolutely fascinating. It's fascinating how you could have had a nation like Nazi Germany, who were world leaders in terms of humanitarianism, or I should say animal rights specifically, and yet were, were quite happy to cr commit a genocide. How you could have had, and this is not news because history does repeat itself, and so you go back through history and you see some of the most incredible empires in the world who proclaimed to create the ultimate democracy and legal system and yet fed people to the lions. Or those who created the, the, the foundations of all philosophy and yet went out and battered and murdered people en masse. You suddenly realize, you know, the, the human mind is not necessarily be necessarily reliable for morality, for ethics, for objectivity. For it, it, it's fascinating, and so Judaism builds into it the sense of there have to be certain things that you accept that you don't understand, and the minute you accept that there's certain things that you don't understand, the minute you accept that you do certain things because you're instructed to do them, that's the moment when you recognize higher authority. So you're not just instructed by some arbitrary board of directors that decided that they're going to tell you these things. This is this is we. We stood at Mount Sinai and we heard these words from God. So we acknowledge higher authority. And the minute you acknowledge higher authority and you acknowledge that fundamentally there are certain things I have to do even when I don't understand them, that's going to spill over and then you get this principle called Zois Chukas HaTorah. That the whole of Judaism, the whole of the Torah is actually predicated on that principle. The whole of Torah is not up for debate. It's not up for what I understand and therefore I'll do it in the way that I understand. Way too much damage has been wrought in society by people saying, I understand. And therefore based on what I understand, I can modify my understanding to different circumstances and come to different conclusions. It's this acceptance. Could you imagine? I mean, it's not necessarily the ideal parable, but it's a good metaphor regardless. 
imagine when you have a, a, a battlefront. If a soldier on the battlefront would say, hey, 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 you know, I've also got a little bit of, of uh, experience over here. I've also been around the block. I've also been exposed to a few things. Who says that my commanding officer knows what I should be doing at this particular point in time? Maybe I've got a better idea. I've got a different strategy. I thought about this late at night. Well, you may, you may actually be right. But you could also imperil the entire war effort and your fellow soldiers at the time that you're uh, doing your own thing. Moving in your own direction. Now, it's an imperfect metaphor because at the end of the day, it is quite possible that a soldier could actually have an insight that the command, the high command doesn't have because they're not on the battlefield. It is actually possible. Whereas when you're talking about the human perspective versus the divine perspective, well, then we're never going to outsmart. We're never going to have a better idea. But if King Solomon, who was such a wise person, had absolutely no qualms about saying publicly, I thought I could work this out and I cannot, that wasn't just an admission of his shortcomings. It was a lesson. And the lesson is, and here Shalom has said this so nicely, I'm going to read it actually how he wrote it, that it's to teach us to do the right thing because it is the right thing and not because it is nice or makes us feel good. See, what happens a lot of the time is when a person arrives at a point of understanding something, when you believe that you've understood something, you actually start to color your whole world based on that understanding. And the minute something doesn't conform to your understanding, now you have the perfect excuse. So let's use Shabbos as an example. If you understand that Shabbos is a day of rest, which it is, that's how it's proposed in the Torah, that's how we refer to it in our liturgy. So Shabbos is a day of rest, and we live such frenetic lives that we really, really do need that rest. So if that's my foundation, why do I keep Shabbos? Because it's a day of rest. Well, maybe the way that I like to rest is to just sit back at home and watch TV. Now, logically, I have come to the logical conclusion that the purpose of Shabbos is in order to rest. And so logically, I've reinterpreted what rest means. And then I'm no longer keeping Shabbos. I'm just taking a day off. Big difference. Because the nature of people, like it or not, is that we're limited. Like it or not, no matter how smart we, we think we are, no matter how talented we think we are, if we're honest, we recognize that we have our limitations. We all have our limitations. And God is infinite. So we get to choose. Do we interact with God Relative to our limitations. This is what I understand. God, thank you very much. You gave us Shabbos. I have now taken your Shabbos, which was your gift, and I have transformed it into what I understand, and now it's my Shabbos with my limitations. And God says, okay, that's fine. I mean, go ahead, have a, have a day of rest. I have no issue. Or he says, you could take it on my terms and do Shabbos because I said so. And now it turns into an infinite experience. It's actually quite different. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So it's interesting because here we are, I'm asking the question about, you know, elements of Judaism that don't necessarily make sense. And somebody says that, um, <clears throat> that that's why they find it difficult to be orthodox. And I think that's exactly the point. I think that's exactly the point. Why would a person find it difficult to be orthodox? Because we have been trained in the modern world that we are brilliant. And we are. <laughs> but we're trained that we're so brilliant that we know everything and if it doesn't fit into our perspective and into our narrative then we cannot accept it 
And Judaism is fundamentally opposed to that way of thinking because Judaism says, why limit yourself to your limitations? That's what a mitzvah is, actually. That's what Judaism is all about. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to step beyond yourself and way beyond yourself. You know, if you had to think about it this way, if a child would question every instruction from a parent, as kids do, by the way, uh, but let's say it's a little kid who's not yet at that point where they've started to challenge authority. You know, the child has the opportunity to do things beyond what a child is capable of because the parent knows more. So that the parent says, uh, listen, don't run into the street. Kid might say, well, why not? It's fun. Parent knows more. In other words, the point is that we, in our world today, we tend to lock ourselves into the insistence that we know. We know what's best for us. We know what makes sense to us. And we consistently actually lock ourselves down and limit ourselves to our own limitations. And the purpose of Torah, you've got a man like King Solomon. A man who is the wisest person who ever lived. And he says, you know what? All of that wisdom, still not enough. I want to get beyond that. There's something out there that is beyond me. There's something out there that is so powerful, so magnificent, so infinite, so great, so intense. I want to connect to it. And the only way I can connect to it is I've got to let go of what I believe. I've got to let go of my preconceptions. I've got to be open to other possibilities, to other realities beyond myself. The whole experience of Judaism is that. Every single day, countless times a day, we are challenged to do things that we just cannot see right now how they're valuable. We cannot see right now why we're doing them. And that's healthy. It's not healthy to just follow the trends like everybody does without understanding them, without asking questions. That everybody happily does. That's not healthy. What is healthy is to say, my creator who put me in this world is trying to entice me into something that is so beyond myself. I should be thrilled at the opportunity. King Solomon did not lament, Oy vey, I don't understand this. He was like, wow, I don't understand this. That is spectacular. And that's what Judaism wants. Spectacular. Well, I hope that that's something to consider and think about. Really, really nice comments that have, that came through. So thank you for being part of the conversation. For now, we're going to take rain check until, please God, next week. Till then, have a good Shabbos. Stay safe. Stay safe. Stay sane. Stay home. Stay away. Let's ride out the storm for the next couple of weeks. Please God, it should be less than that. But do everything in your power to remain safe. Have a great Shabbos. All the best.